I would like to continue our series on the Beatitudes, and I'd like you to open your your Bible or your Bible app to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 8 today, and we're going to stop at verse 8 and have a conversation around this Beatitude. So if you've got your Bible open, you can follow along with me. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. So if you've got it open in your app, you can click over to that version if you'd like. If not, you can read it in yours. I know we all have different preferences, and I like ESV, so. Verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, I want to remind you that this is the first time that we see Jesus sitting down. Up until this point, Jesus had not been sitting down. Jesus had been walking around. Jesus hadn't stopped to give us a presentation. Jesus was walking around giving us a demonstration of the Father's love in action through the kingdom of God. Jesus was walking around giving us a demonstration of kingdom power, of kingdom love, and he was healing the sick and working miracles. But now we see Jesus stopping and sitting down. And the next verse teaches us that he opens up his mouth and he taught his disciples saying. So he's never taught before up until this point in the storyline of Jesus's ministry. He's never stopped long enough to teach, but that's what he's doing now. He's been preaching one sermon, which is about the length of a tweet. And he's been saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now he's stopping, he's sitting down, and he's breaking down the kingdom of God. Because as all of these disciples are watching God move in power, they're also wondering, what is this kingdom that he keeps talking about and referring to really all about? And so that's what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is he's breaking down his kingdom and he's teaching us how to live. He's not teaching us how to be more religious. He's not teaching us how to be more Christian. He's not teaching us how to be more Jewish. What he's teaching us is how to make life livable. He is teaching us how to be human. So he sits down and his opening address is what we refer to as the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed, everyone say happy. That's what the word means in Greek. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's read that last line one more time, all together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to speak to you today from the subject, what it takes to see God. What it takes to see God. Are you ready? Awesome. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words, because you have the words of life. Where else could we go? So today we open up our hearts, we open up our minds, we open up our lives, and we say, God, speak into it. Speak into us, God. Transform us with a demonstration of your power, but also teach us how we should live. Lord, give us something today 
that will be immediately applicable to our lives. Let us not walk out of this place the same. Let our Monday be transformed by our Sunday. And so on and so forth, God, until our lifestyle reflects your lifestyle. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen Amen and amen. So what I want you guys to recognize here is that the sixth beatitude is not just a proclamation. Jesus is not just making an announcement. Jesus is actually giving us a promise. How many guys think that's good news? That's good news, right? Jesus is promising you and I that we shall see God. How many of you guys like that promise? That's an amazing promise that Jesus came to show us what God was like. Because how many of you know that when you see Jesus, you've seen God? Amen. And so Jesus comes And he's demonstrating the power, sits down, begins to teach, and he gives his followers a promise. He gives you and I a promise, which is that we will see God. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. Because I want to do more than religious calisthenics. I want to do more than just come to church. I want to see God. How about you? I want to do more than just serve in a church. I want to see God. I want to do more than just consider myself to be a Christian. I want to see Christ. Anybody else in here? Right? Because we're not, and, and, you know, I kind of jokingly say it like this. You know, we didn't come in here to play patty cake. Right? A child's game or just have fun. It is fun to be in here together. But we came in here to behold the living God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? The man that brings the moments, that changes everything, Jesus Christ. This is what we signed up for. He is the one who saved us, and he is the one who wants to show himself to us. And not just once, not just on the date that we were saved, not just within the first three months after we came to know him, but continually and consistently, Jesus wants to show us himself. Anybody excited about that? God never stops revealing himself to us. I know that sometimes we think that, right? Like, oh man, I haven't seen God in a while. But he's right there. He wants you to see him. But in order to see him, he tells us that something is required. He says, if you want to see God, which I promise you that you will, but you have some work to put in to the equation. To see God... There is a requirement. What is that requirement? That requirement is that we would have a pure heart. That's what Jesus says. He says, blessed. Everybody say happy. Happy Happy are you when your heart is pure. Because when your heart is pure, you can see God. I mean, that makes me excited. How many of you guys want a pure heart? Amen. So it's interesting that as Jesus gives us this promise, and he says, hey, your ability to see me is connected to your purity of heart. He's speaking to a large group of people. Now, the people who received Jesus and heard him as sharing good news, most often were the irreligious people. You guys know that, right? The sinful people, 
the marginalized people, the people who were always in trouble. But also in the crowd, there was a religious group of people known as the Pharisees. Everybody say the Pharisees. Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, these were the most devout, studious, anointed, devoted people that were in the group. And they're listening to Jesus, who is the Son of God, revealing himself to us. And they're thinking and they're saying and they're whispering amongst, them, amongst themselves, this is not good news. This is not the gospel. This is a little ridiculous. This guy's talking about showing himself to us as God. This guy's not God, right? Do you guys find it ironic that the people who were most scripturally prepared to see God missed him? Isn't that ironic that we could know scripture but miss God? Isn't it ironic that we could be completely devoted to the house of God but never see God? Isn't it it crazy to think that we could do all of the right stuff morally and, you know, stay in the right lane and always be politically correct and, you know, just go about our lives being good Christians, tithing, giving in the offering, but never see God? I mean, that's what was happening here to the Pharisees. They were the religious people. They were scripturally prepared to recognize the Messiah, but they missed him. On the other hand, the sinful and the irreligious recognized Jesus as being sent by God right away, almost immediately. What could be the difference in the two heart conditions? And how ready and willing are we to explore them and consider them? That so often we find Jesus hanging out with the last people that we think he should be. But see, this is the way of God. This is the way of Jesus to go to the marginalized, to go to the irreligious, to go to the sinful, to go to the people that everyone else has pushed out. And then there's Jesus hanging out, sitting down, breaking bread with them. How many of you guys think that's awesome? That God is willing to show himself to the people that don't deserve to see him at all. And yet when we think we deserve to see him is when we miss him. And that's what was happening in this moment. And the thing about seeing God is it's not just having a personal encounter. That is one element to seeing God. How many of you guys like personal encounters? I love divine encounters. I love divine visitation. I love to have moments in worship like we had this morning where I just want, you know, I, I don't for your sake, but I just want to run around. And like cry and scream and like, I'm so, you know, I, I don't do that for your sake. I keep it together. But that's what I want to do because I love to have personal encounters. But that's not, that's not the only thing that this promise entails. It, it, Jesus is actually talking about our ability to recognize his work through other people. He's saying, hey, I'm going to work through a lot of people that you wish I wouldn't. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get in a little trouble today, I can tell. Um, and so, and, 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 and when I do, what's going to keep you from recognizing that is your impure heart, a.k.a. your spiritual pride. 
Because if we really want to talk about the path of the Pharisee, we could probably sum it up like this. Spiritual pride. Yeah, so that's the Pharisees. They were, they were prideful. They were arrogant. They were hypocritical. And you know what? They'd had an encounter with God. Which is so interesting because it's very difficult to become a Pharisee without having an encounter with God. The problem with that is, is that we make our faith all about an old encounter and about what Jesus has said rather than about what Jesus is saying. And so the Pharisees were gathered around an old word. They were gathered around leftovers. You guys with me today? Okay, because I'm, I'm going to go in a little bit, okay, and I hope to offend you because at the end I just want us to all corporately uh, repent. So, so I'm, I'm digging a little bit, okay? But, but this is the path of the Pharisee. This is the path that leads to pride. When we camp out around old encounters and then we adopt an idea of certainty that this is the only way that God moves. And so when God starts moving in a different way, Or, how about this, when he starts moving through people we wish he wouldn't, we condemn them, and we don't just reject the experience or the encounter, but we reject the person. And we say, that person's not of God, that person's not anointed, that person couldn't have had that encounter. Look at their life. They're sinful, they're irreligious, they don't look like they're supposed to, they don't dress like they're supposed to, they have tattoos, they have piercings, look at their hair, and these are just, you know, the, the, the very elementary ones today, but, you know, look at these things, I, I, I just don't understand how God could ever move through that person, therefore I reject it. When we come to that place, we are on the path of the Pharisee. Because what we've done is we've hardened our heart, we've become calloused in our heart, And it's no longer as pure as it once was so that we're unable to recognize what God is doing today. And just because you had a pure heart in the past doesn't guarantee that you have a pure heart in the present. In fact, your pure heart in the past that brought you the encounter is usually the thing that if you don't stay current with God creates the idolatry where you say, "Eh, I'm going to idolize an encounter rather than follow the living God. So... Are you guys getting anything out of this so far? Okay. I, okay, so what is, a, what is a pure heart exactly? You know, because, you know, I, I, I skipped ahead in my notes. I'm just too excited. So what, what is a pure heart? Uh, so the word in the Greek there is the word clean. I mean, it's, it's, it's very evident. That's what it means. It means a clean heart. And a clean heart, very simply, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define this my own definition, but a, a clean heart is one that is not covered by the grime of spiritual pride. If that's okay for me to define it that way. A clean heart is one that is not covered by the grime of spiritual pride. Now, um, you guys all said you want to see God, right? Amen? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm here with you. Don't, don't be afraid, okay? I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm a little excited this morning. Don't be afraid. It's all going to be fun by the end of it. And, and for me, I want to see God. I'm with you guys, okay? And... Uh, I've always wanted to see God. I adopted a personal catchphrase when I first got saved, and it went something like this. I intend to find out what God might do with one life that's completely laid down to him. And I prayed that every night. 
And then every night I'd walk around my bed, I'd pace in prayer, and I'd read Exodus chapter 33 about when Moses saw God. And I'd say, God, show yourself to me. I want to see you. And I'd pray these really scary prayers like, Jesus, if you'd just step out of eternity and into time and show yourself to me, I'd be, I'd be really happy. And then I'd get really afraid because then I'd think, well, what if God actually shows up and he steps into my bedroom and I'll probably die? And, uh, you know, so I would turn on all the lights and the radio and the TV because I got afraid. I was like, oh, God, what am I praying? But nonetheless, I was still hungry. I was like, God, I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. Um, And, um, you know, that led me eventually through ministry school. And eventually I took a job at my parents' church. It was a small church in the middle of a cornfield and a bean field in West Kentucky. And I I was saying, I want to see God. I want to see God. I want to see God. But here's the truth, you guys. I was a Pharisee. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was a Pharisee. I knew that God didn't like sin very much, so it became my favorite topic to preach on. (laughs) <laughs> uh, followed closely by the subject of hell. And so I, I, I preached. I, I'm dead serious. So I took this position as a youth pastor, and I preached about hell every week, man. I, I, like the, the tennis shoes that my kids were wearing were melting. I mean, they, I was dangling them over hell in every sermon. I mean, I was preaching about how if you leave this place and you, and you stop your distractions with your high school crushes and your video games and your homecomings, and you don't get passionate about Jesus Christ, you're in danger of hellfire. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can tell, I was, I was a really great uh, youth pastor. So um, I, I had this like youth, I had this youth group growth strategy happening, and, and we grew, we grew all the way down to about four people, and um, and and so you know, I, I I was like, you know, I understand the truth is hard to hear. Some people just can't take it. You know, that was that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they just can't. They can't handle it. They they can't they can't hang. They're not really devoted. You know, my youth group's going to be for the passionate. And, um, you know, so we grew down about four people. And, th- and those four people, they, I'm pretty sure they were forced to, to be there by their own parents. Uh, but nonetheless, I did have a captive audience because I didn't let them have their cell phones. And, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hammering them every week. And, and honestly, you guys, to be honest, I really do believe I was just on the path of being a young Pharisee. Because here's the thing. I could not see God working in these 16, 17, and 18-year-olds. I couldn't see God working in them. I couldn't see God working through them because they were too distracted. They were too preoccupied with other stuff. Social media, video games, friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, going to dances. I'm like, how can you be a disciple and be, and be passionate about all these things? You need to pray fast, read the Bible. You know what I mean? You need to lock yourself up in your room for seven days and go on a Daniel fast and like be radical. Because you know why, why I said that? Because I'd had an encounter. I'd had a genuine, legit encounter with God that had led me to some of that behavior, but the problem I was having was my projection of what I felt like every other disciple had to look like in order to be saved. And that's also the pathway of the Pharisee. When you look at your devotion and you apply it to everyone else who is saved and say that unless they look like me, they're not saved. And the problem with that is, is that you've become your own idol because nobody needs to look like you. We all need to look like Jesus. So, right? But then we, we're like, we, you know, we become our own sanctified uh, conditional savior. And if everybody doesn't look like us, well, then, you know, that's, uh, that's all that they're, go- they're, gonna, they're just not going to make it to heaven, you know, and and uh, as a kid, I, I heard that a lot. I, I grew up holiness Pentecostal, and I heard somebody tell me a joke one time where they said, you know, 
we get, when we get to heaven, it's going to be very funny because we'll be walking around on a tour uh, with Jesus, and, and we'll be going in, and there'll be all these different rooms where people worshiping many different styles and all that, and you know, we'll, we'll go and there'll be, you know, there'll be people, the Baptists here, Presbyterians here, the Methodists here. And then, and then there'll be the Holiness Pentecostals, which, you know, I grew up Holiness Pentecostal. And, 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 and it, they're very vibrant and rowdy and loud. And, you know, Jesus is going to take us right by that door and we're going to hear them worshiping. And then Jesus is going to turn around and say, shh, be quiet. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> okay, you guys didn't get my preacher joke. Anyway, you, did you like that? And you're like, okay, okay. But really, honestly, I believe that's our problem. When we start to think that the only people getting to heaven are the people like us, we've embraced the pathway of the Pharisee. Because God is going to work through the people you wished he wouldn't. Because that's what God does. God is going to work through the people that you would never work through. But that's okay because you're not God. Right? And God is going to work through people that are going to offend you, that are going to upset you. But that's just how big God is. Are you guys okay so far? So back, back to my story, back to my, you know, young pharisaical preaching. And, uh, you know, so I didn't have anybody there. But I heard about this revival that was happening like a few states away. And I decided, you know, I want to see God. I'm passionate about God. I'll get around other passionate people. You know, I'm going to go to this revival. So I drove all night long. And I got to the 10 a.m. service, and I went in and, and worshiped there, and I stayed there all day. And, man, you guys, I just had an amazing uh, experience with God. And I ended up receiving this promise that Jesus uh, shares with us in this passage, which is that we can see God. And I saw him. I mean, I had an encounter. I had a personal divine visitation. But you know what it led me to? It led me to repentance. It led me to repentance because I began to recognize that Jesus was way bigger than I thought he was and he loved way bigger than I thought he did and he worked through way more people than I thought he would. And so I repented. I said, oh God, I'm so sorry. I've actually been persecuting the people that your presence has been moving through and I'm, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. I repent. I want to see what you're doing in their lives. I want to start to see my kids as being like young revivalists, not little rebels you know like I, i'm not i'm gonna i'm gonna stop preaching about the power of hell and i'm gonna start preaching about the power of the holy ghost you know I, i'm gonna stop preaching about the power of sin i'm gonna start to talk about the power of salvation and you know what happened is is the youth group blew up in just a few weeks man we went from like four people who were all forced to be there to over 60 I mean, like in three weeks, and this is like we're in the middle of a bean field, mind you. Don't forget that part of the story. And so we have 60 kids that are coming in, and they don't care anything about a skit. They don't care anything about a drama. Like hands lifted, hearts open. They're worshiping. They're going after Jesus. They're getting baptized in the Spirit. They're, they're praying for their friends at school. They're evangelizing. They're seeing miracles in the, in the, in the bathroom at school. I mean, it's like, it's like incredible. It's like, it's like revival happening, right? It's, it's awesome. And, and we're like, man, this is, this is amazing. I mean, these kids, man, they're, they're going for it. And um, unfortunately, they got a little bit too excited. You ever heard that passage about zeal but no wisdom? That was our youth group. And so um, we, we just, we, we had a lot of antics, and we were very demonstrative, and we're charismatic, so we had a lot of Holy Ghost manifestations. And uh, th- there's no problem with that. I don't mind that. But uh, our kids were doing it in math class. And so we started to get calls from the high school saying, what is wrong with 
your students. They don't want to talk about their boyfriends and their girlfriends. They don't want to talk about, you know, playing online video games. They want to talk about Jesus. What's wrong with them? And you, you see, that's when you know it's a move of God. People start to feel uncomfortable about how on fire for him you are. And um, that, that's, that's the way it's supposed to go. I mean, God has called us to comfort the afflicted. But every now and then, we need to afflict the comfortable. Right? And so our kids are just passionate, man. They're going for it. And the teachers are taking them out of class like, what's wrong with you? Why are you laughing? I got Jesus, man. <laughs> and, and they're like, hey, whoa, uh, weird. Uh, you know, you guys are strange and <laughs> you need some help. And uh, so what ended up happening was, to be honest with you, some of the parents started pulling their kids out of the youth group. Because they said, man, this is too much, Jesus. <laughs> Y'all laugh now, but that's revival, man. It makes people uncomfortable. This is too much Jesus. I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I want this. I, I want them to be excited about, you know, high school and sports and all that stuff. I mean, I want them to know Jesus, but I, not this, this is too exciting. You know, I'm going to take them out. And then one parent actually ended up referring to what was happening. It was like, that's demonic. That's not even of God. That's, that's not even, that's, that, that, you guys are deceived. You guys are, you're, you're, loud, you're taking my kids in a wrong direction. So I'm taking my kids out of the youth group. And then people started to leave the church. And we already had, I mean, our church wasn't big. My dad was the lead pastor. And when people start, you know, exiting the church in groups because of what your kid is doing, despite the fact you know it's good, there's a lot of pressure there, right? And so uh, my dad came to me and he was like, Lyle, listen, I love what's happening. I love the Holy Spirit. I love what God is doing. But can you just cool it on some of the antics, like some of the demonstrative stuff that you're doing and you know, you guys are being just a little bit immature and, and uh, you know, just pull it together a little bit. And, uh, and I told my dad, no way. You said you wanted revival and it's here. You got to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, so, so uh, see, see, that's the interesting thing about uh, the path of the Pharisee, is that, see, we may get off the path for a moment because we've had an experience with God, but if we don't watch out, we'll be right back on the path when we start to idolize the experience over what God is doing in our lives through our community, through, through our friends, through our fellowship, through our leaders, through our own parents. I was ready to divide my relationship with my own dad over an experience with God. Sounds like the path of the Pharisee to me, right? Because how many, how many of you guys know you can be so right about certain things and so wrong yeah. at the exact same time? You can be so right about the Scripture but so wrong about your application. You can be so right about, you know, what God wants to do but so wrong about what God's doing. Is this... Is this Helping you guys at all? Is this challenging you guys at all? Okay, because I'm being challenged by it as I preach. And so it's interesting because maybe you have a storyline that's similar to mine. Maybe it didn't look like you pastoring a youth group or, you know, something like that. But the thing is, is that when we have an encounter with God from a, from a pure heart, people with an impure heart want to persecute it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it makes them uncomfortable. 
And, and truly, this is what I would consider to be, in, in, to some extent, sort of the path of the Pharisee. And let me give you guys just like four points of pharisaical behavior, and I'll move on. Pharisees get offended when God shows up unless they recognize him first. Okay. Number two, right? Their identity is wrapped up in being the most spiritual person in every room. If someone threatens that position, they either reject them or they separate from the group. <laughs> it's a word. <laughs> Number three, they don't celebrate when people encounter God that they don't expect to encounter God. Instead of discerning the movement, they reject the person. Pharisees must, number four, Pharisees must always be the teacher. They rarely take the position of the learner unless they are being taught by another Pharisee that reinforces their BS, belief systems. (laughs) (laughs) Belief system, belief systems. Um, <laughs> have you ever been there before yeah. where you've experienced God with a pure heart but, but somebody with an impure heart resisted you everybody say Pharisee okay but here on the other hand they resisted you then you got upset and then you got angry and then you got a little arrogant around, about your experience and then you resisted them can somebody say Pharisee So, see, when we throw stones at Pharisees, we have embraced the path of the Pharisee. That's when revival ends because both of us are Pharisaical, no longer being in the presence. So, see, it works works on both sides. I know this, you know, so oftentimes we're, you know, ready to condemn, you know, the religious people who are not embracing our encounter, but also at the same time, we're, you know, more excited about the encounter than we are just continuing to walk with Jesus or our message or our blog or our perspective or our angle or you guys get what I'm saying because God is guaranteed to move through people that you don't think that he should on all sides of the fence whether you're super religious or you're anti-religious. And, and let me t- tell you this. If you're anti-religious, which you're probably not because you're at church, but, it, you know, let, we'll just speak this out for people who listen to the podcast. Um, you know, then you can be just as religious, just as pharisaical by persecuting the people that God is moving through in the pulpit. Yeah. Okay, I'll leave that one alone because you guys are all on the, you guys are all on my team with this one. Okay, I got a few minutes left. Um, so... Here's, well, let me say this first. Here's what a clean heart is not. Just to add a little bit more context. John 9, 39 through 41. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Can I, can I tell you this? Be careful what you brag about when it comes to God, when it comes to your spirituality, when it comes to your biblical knowledge, when it comes to your certainty about what God does. 
and how he moves and who he moves through. Be careful about what you brag about because it's when you say that you see that you don't see it all. It was the inner pride of the Pharisee that kept them blind because that's what pride does. Pride leads to blindness. Unchecked spiritual pride leads to spiritual blindness. The Pharisees confessed that they saw everything so clearly that they had everything figured out. And here's what the Pharisees felt the most qualified to do. Judge other people. They felt so certain about their ability to judge other people. And that kept them blind. So that's what the grime that I mentioned earlier over our hearts is. It's pride. It's certainty. It's hypocrisy. It's judgmentalism. And when this grime covers our hearts, we don't see others right. But here's what also happens. The grime that covers our heart doesn't let any light in, so we're never convicted of our sin. And we continue to go through life thinking, well, I'm fine. I'm justified in my judgment. But really, we're not seeing what God is doing today. We may remember what he did another day, but we're not seeing what God is doing today because there's some grime on our hearts. Here's the way ahead. Everybody say it with me. Repentance. We, we all, we all. I, I'm, 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 not, I'm not like, I'm not saying you guys. I'm not saying somebody else. I'm saying we all as a church and as believers and as Christians need to repent and should practice repentance around this reality. Because when we've stopped being humble and we've exalted our, ourselves to a position of judgment and certainty and hypocrisy, and we fold our arms and we say, I know how God works. God doesn't do that, and he doesn't work through those people. Then we've set ourselves up to miss what God is actually doing in the world altogether. So what I want to ask you to do today is I just want you to search your heart. Just for a moment, right where you are, sitting down. We're going to pray together in just a moment, standing, but just stay seated for now. And I just want you to close your eyes just for a moment, just for a moment. And I want to ask you to search your heart. Where have you been so sure that someone else is so wrong about God? Where have you been so sure that someone else is just off the mark when it comes to the experience that they've shared, that they've had with God? This is not about being right or wrong. Don't think about that. It's not a, you might be right. You might be wrong. God may speak to you in this moment, but it's not even about that. It's not about who's right. It's not about who's wrong. What it's about is the condition of your heart because God wants to show himself to you. And if you're willing to repent and be humble before him, you'll see him. Who cares who's right or wrong? Let's just see Jesus. Who cares who's got it figured out? Who doesn't? Let's just see Jesus. So I just want you to just to take a moment and just let the love of Jesus crash in. Just, just let the beauty of God crash in. Just, just let the grace of Jesus crash in. Lord, we, 
we just clean off the, the window into our soul. We want to perceive God. We want to see Him. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to see you, God. We want to see you. God, don't let our, our stuff get in the way. Don't let our, our judgmentalism. Don't let our arrogance get in the way, God. Lord, we know that you were always hanging out and working through people that, that the religious people didn't think you should or didn't think you would. God, we, we don't want to be like that. We want to be open. We want to follow you, God. I'm reminded of the words that Christ gave John the Baptist when he said, Blessed is he that is not offended in me. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. God will do some things to offend you. He will offend your mind to reveal your heart. But here's the reason why he'll do that. Not to heap guilt on you. Not to heap shame on you. But so that you can see him rightly. You are forgiven. You are released. You are washed pure today. We're all going to stand up together with a pure heart. So if you don't mind, just stand. We're going to sing a song of worship all together with pure hearts. And maybe it's been a while since you've had the feeling that you have right now with some real cleanliness on the inside. Maybe it's been a while since you felt that. Maybe you're feeling that today as a result of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And if that's the case, then, man, let's just praise God together and thank Him for lifting this weight, lifting this burden from us. God, you're making us new, and we thank you for it.